You can jump into Genesis 1, which is where we have been camping for the last couple of weeks. This is going to be our last week in Genesis 1, and then we're going to jump into a Christmas series. But um, I am going to dive into a topic around which there is no controversy today, and that is uh, the topic of gender and sexuality. Um, I want to be really clear as we jump into this. It's my intent that drawing from God's word that we would grow in our experience of his good plan, his good intentions. It is not my intent uh, today to... uh, draw a line in a way that would, that would distinguish between good and bad people. We are actually in the midst of a, uh, a, a cultural revolution of sorts in regards to our thoughts about uh, gender and sexuality. And so I'm going to go into Genesis as a foundation, talk about gender from a Genesis perspective. I told you, I think it was two weeks ago, two weeks ago, it's my 22nd anniversary. My wife and I have been married for 22 years. We dated a few years before that. And uh, I have made the observation over the last 20 some years that her and I are different in some ways. Uh, But if I was to boil it all down, maybe you men can vouch for me on this. If I was to boil down our differences, I would say, it really boils down to this, and that is the woman's capacity to ask simple questions for which I do not have an answer. Ever been there? Do you like this outfit or do you hate it? You've been asked that question? Today. (laughs) So I took the SAT and I know that on a multiple choice question, The answer is already given, right? It's already been provided, so the answer is already there. Do I like the outfit or do I hate it? After thinking through the options, suddenly a revelation. Wait a second. It's a multiple choice question, but the answer is missing. Unfortunately for me, the time that it takes me to come to that realization is about 17 minutes of silence, right? The statute of limitations on the question has expired, to which my wife will graciously say, it's fine if it's not your preference, which is the third option that was not listed in the original question. Yes, it's not my preference. Simple questions that I have no answer for. Sometimes it's a multiple choice question where the answer is provided, and I still don't know. Were you planning to put the sandwich stuff back in the fridge, or did you want me to do it? It's multiple choice, right? Was I planning to? Um, Honestly, the answer is I hadn't thought about it, so that would be a no. Do I want you to put it away? Yes. Yeah, sure. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that both of those correct answers are not the right answers. 
<clears throat> Male and female, he created them. I want to address gen or sexuality. I want to address specifically gender. We cannot talk about gender without talking about gender differences from a Genesis perspective. And here's what I'm after. I want you to experience in your thoughts about God's design and gender, I want you to experience godly awe in place of disappointment and confusion. I want you to feel a growing love and respect for the opposite gender in place of contempt or resentment. And I want you to feel confident to engage our culture rather than fearfully retreat. Remember four weeks ago, Romans 1, the created world, the material reality is a message from God about God. The material world is God's doing. It reveals God's heart. It reveals God's nature, and it exists for God's purposes. When I look at my wife, I must be aware this is God's handiwork that reveals God's heart and exists for his purposes. But there's two things that are happening. And uh, before we jump into the scripture, let me just give you the context. There's two things that are happening culturally. One is that we have decided uh, culturally, and I, I, I'm speaking in some generalities. I understand that generalities are not rules, but they are generalities. We have decided, first of all, that our subjective realities must inform our objective realities. We've decided that my subjective sense of self informs my objective self rather than vice versa. Here's what I mean by that. I was born into the body of a man, therefore that objective reality informs my subjective reality about what it means to be a man. In our, in our uh, environment today, that's been switched. My subjective reality, I, I, my, I feel this way, I then must bring my objective reality into alignment with that. And this isn't actually just a hypothesis that's been suggested, it's actually a new form of morality, and that is, I must be true, I must be faithful to my subjective self and bring my objective reality into conformity. So that's number one. Number two, we've decided that our subjective selves, our subjective experiences, do not need to fall into the biblical gender categories. So you understand, the first one is to say, I, I was born into the body of a man, but I don't feel like a man, so I will adjust my material reality to come into conformity with that. Well, the second thing is, is that we've decided that those two categories are not even relevant to answering that question, right? Uh, we've rejected what is now referred to as a binary view. And that, that uh, what I wanna do is uh, look at the good design of God. 
So I'm gonna move fairly quickly through some of these uh, thoughts. Number one, I'm gonna offer you three truths. Number one, gender distinctions are God's good design. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and we will let them rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Them collectively in his image collectively, our image Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. And the man gave names to all the cattle, cows, hippos, rhinos, to the birds of the sky, the seagulls and the eagles, and to every beast of the field. And Adam came to this conclusion. Every one of them has a mate, but I do not. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So God allows Adam to arrive at the conclusion that I am lacking a suitable partner. And the scripture actually says that uh, God made Adam a helper. Even this has been uh, distorted in what uh, the text actually presents. The helper is not a subservient. The helper is a necessary assistance or necessary completion. In other words, uh, remember the mandate, and we're going to revisit this. The mandate was be fruitful and multiply, take dominion over the earth. But Adam cannot accomplish God's purposes without Eve. The two of them fully complete God's intentions for uh, humanity. He created man, masculine, and the woman, feminine. Differences ordained by God. Differences which... For many, the moment we marry, we wonder why they must be. Why are you not more like me? As soon as things went south, what did Adam do? That woman that you gave me, she's the problem. There's a wedge in their relationship. And God pronounced the consequence of sin. And again, we're going to actually dig into that after Christmas. But God pronounced the consequences of sin as a curse on Adam and Eve, and it was aimed at their gendered strengths. Adam was built for physical labor, and God says, you will experience pain, frustration, futility in your physical labor. Eve was built by God for multiplication, and God says, you will experience pain and agony and multiplying. But of course, you take any time to think through those consequences, although they're directed individually, they're experienced together. Adam and Eve will together experience pain and frustration 
in taking ownership of the earth, and they will together experience pain and suffering in bringing new life on the earth. Remember the, to the two noble endeavors from last week, the creation mandate, our work and our relationships. It's a cooperative effort that God has sovereignly gifted to us that can only be accomplished in combination where the man and the woman bring their unique capacities and increase their capacities as a couple. Take dominion, multiply. God's good design. Gender distinctions are God's good design. It's so interesting to me that today we have two primary artificial environments that provide the sensation of accomplishing the creation mandate without any of the consequence, good or bad. Young men can conquer the world in the artificial environment of gaming. This is a, this is a growing, uh, uh, actually it's even being categorized as a health crisis. This divinely invested uh, set of inclinations channeled into an environment that is of no consequence. Whether you fail or succeed, it's of no consequence because it's an artificial environment. Meanwhile, their female counterparts are, are drawn into what quickly becomes the artificial environment of uh, relational connections through social media. Multiplying but in a way that is, uh, does not actually accomplish God's intention for relationships. Again, I speak in generalities, not as rules. And yet these opportunities move us away from living out the mandate of God in our real world. Number two, Gender distinctions are expressions of culture. And this is where it gets to be a little bit tricky. So we know that God has made the man and the woman different from each other and that together they are one by God's intention. But gender distinctions are expressions of culture. This is what I mean by that. Every cultural group works out the practical expressions of gender norms, including Christian culture. Let me unpack that a little bit. So Deuteronomy 22.5 says, A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things, it is an abomination to the Lord. So the Old Testament law, God prohibited uh, me from wearing a woman's clothes and my wife from wearing a man's clothes. What I find fascinating about that is it never says what the difference is. It does not define what a man's clothing is. It doesn't define what a woman's clothing is. 
it's assumed in that passage that there would be a noticeable difference between the two and that those differences should be honored and protected rather than erased. What a, what a man looks like as a cultural expression today will look different than what it looked like 100 years ago, and it will look different than what it looks like in a different cultural environment. What the scriptures seem to suggest, actually what the scriptures teach, is that those differences should be valued and kept even as they change. Your men should look like men and your women should look like women. But this is where we get into errors and this is where our errors on this topic become oppressive and harmful. The first error is when differences are inappropriately exaggerated. In many cultures, even today and for millennia, the male gender dominates women because they can physically. In fact, in ancient Roman culture, when Paul was writing, uh, homosexuality was rampant, but it was, it was of a different nature. It was actually... Uh, a, a belief that the female gender was uh, less desirable or less worthy due to their, um, their physical strength. Men have more strength. That was an extrapolated to say that men were strong in every other way. And so women were less human. They were degraded in that regard. When differences are inappropriately exaggerated, it, it, it does damage. In, in American, uh, what I would consider maybe pseudo-Christian culture, for a long time this led to women being forced out of natural and God-honoring competencies. Some of them even played along with it and feigned weakness and passivity. But these are differences not taught in the scriptures. Proverbs 31, the wise woman. Job 29, the wise man. What you will find in both of those is that both the wise woman and the wise man had relational responsibilities and occupational responsibilities, and both of them found great fulfillment and success in both. In fact, the feminist movement in our country came out of a culture where differences were used as an opportunity to oppress, oftentimes in the name of God. And so feminism responding to those oppressive gender distinctions responded by seeking to eradicate the differences rather than eradicating the oppression. The problem is, is that eradicating difference, eradicating distinctions,
doesn't actually end up elevating women, it degrades them. Because the distinctions are by God's design. And this is the second error of cultural gender expression. The first error is that the, uh, the differences are inappropriately exaggerated. The second error is that they're eradicated. And this is where we are today, that gender difference, that gender even as, as, a, as a, a construct for thinking is being erased. We live in an environment where gender is not understood as an expression of God's goodness. It's understood as an expression of oppression. And to be fair, it has been when pursued in a way outside of God's intent. So gender distinctions are God's good design Gender distinctions are expressions of culture, look different in different places, and God's word seems to argue for um, protecting those differences. Number three, last one. Gender distinctions are biological. The two, the two shall become one. God created a biological, life-creating masterpiece with the man and the woman. And remember, from the very beginning, I said four weeks ago, that the material universe is an expression of God's heart. The biological roots of gender, man and woman, are a reflection of the glory and nature of God. God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, brought her to the man, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The two shall be one. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. When you behold with your eyes God's creation, man and woman, it's testifying. It is a testimony of his glory. And then what happened? If you continue on that verse, Paul says, but even though they saw God's goodness displayed through creation, they rejected that message. And here's what happens. Verse 26 of Romans 1, the same chapter. For this reason, God gave them over to the degrading passions. Women exchange their natural function for something that is unnatural. In the same way also the men abandoned the natural function. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. What Paul is arguing is that when you reject God's good design, even in something that is so foundational as gender, it says that they received the, the penalty in their persons, that, that their experience is the consequence of that rejection. 
I want to end with this because for some of you that are watching, this is a very uh, personal and uh, difficult uh, topic or subject for you. You need to understand that while gender distinctions are biological by God's design, the biological roots of gender have been corrupted by sin. Romans 8, verse 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. It doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In our bodies, in our flesh, in regards to our gender and our sexuality, we collectively experience countless deviations from God's good design as a result of sin. Deviations which maybe you listening right now didn't ask for and yet wrestle through. And one of the biggest lies right now that is driving people away from God's good design is that I must respond to that disconnect that I experience subjectively by resolving my objective world in alignment with that. God says, no, 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 I've called you to something greater. To fully experience God's good design, entrust yourself to his good will and his good plan. We must look to the design of God to understand his intent for gender, for the man and the wife, the man and the woman. We're called to celebrate our likeness in his image as men and women. And we're called to embrace God's good design as a pathway of liberation, not oppression. Psalms 92, verse 4. For you make me glad by your works. Lord, I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works. Lord, how profound are your thoughts. That comes from a place of confidence in the good things of God as made known through what he's created. So my prayer for you is this. If this is an issue of an internal uh, or a place of internal battle for you, I know that right now there are several forces pulling you in different directions. And I also know that this morning, I barely touched on the totality of the issue. My prayer is that God would well up in you such a sincere and, and moving confidence in his goodness that would, that would help you take that step towards pursuing it towards knowing him better. God, show me your will, your ways. Show me your good heart made manifest through what you've created. And help me to overcome whatever sin lies in the way to fully step into all of your good plans. God, we love you. We, uh, we find your created world simultaneously awe-inspiring, breathtaking, 
and at times confusing. But we want to walk in your purposes. We want to walk in your ways. And we want to understand fully who you have created us to be. As we look to you now, even in worship, God, inform our minds and lead our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name.